what's my plan B? What's the next thing that I would want? This is how you maintain, you know, the choice, control, and independence in your life is by asking these questions and then having conversations with the people you love. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by Age Up. Did you know that one in three 65-year-olds live into their 90s, but few can afford it? Age Up provides supplemental income to help you fill in the financial gaps that come with a long life. To find out more, visit age-up.com. Welcome today to the Breaking Money Silence podcast. It is a special day. It is my 100th episode. I am so excited to have 100 episodes under my belt, a lot of great conversations with a lot of great people. And today I wanted to dedicate the show to two wonderful, powerful women in my history, both lived to the age of a hundred or more. And so we're going to be talking about women, longevity, and how to have conversations around planning for the future. My guest is Dr. Amy. She is the founder of Life Transitions by Dr. Amy. Her full name is Dr. Amy Dupree. And uh, I'm going to share some fun stories about my Nana Mo and my Aunt Alice, and she's going to provide some expertise on how you can break money silence in your family to make sure that you're doing what you need to do as you age. Now, before I introduce her, I just want to say that As you know, women tend to outlive men by at least five years, if not more. And the majority of women spend time at some point in their life managing their finances alone. So today we're going to talk about the need for women and their families and their loved ones to break money silence around aging and financially plan for living to 100 and beyond. Welcome, Dr. Amy, to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be with you, Kathleen. And to be here for the 100th episode is amazing. Yes. I knew I wanted a special guest, somebody I could have some fun with and share some fun (laughs) stories about powerful women. So thank you for agreeing uh, to be on the episode today. You know, I was looking at some of the uh, information that I saw that you put out there. And and there's a quote that I want to read to start the interview with. And basically it says, there will never be too many candles on your birthday cake when Dr. Amy develops your life transition and retirement planning requirements. Okay, tell our guests a little bit about what you do and why you're so passionate about this topic. Well, I'm going to start with the why I'm so passionate, which is that I think that many people don't have as much quality, as great a quality of life as they could have in the the last half and especially the last third of their life. And so what I do is help people have more choice, control, and independence in that time period. And I do it by looking through the lens of life transitions. So Kathleen, that's like everything from retirement to caregiving to widowhood to, you know, you name it, your grandparent, you being a grandparent. And and how can we maximize our quality of life? And 
I, I, I will feel like my life was well lived if I can help people do that better as they age. That's awesome. So you have a very clear sense of purpose. And just so the audience understands, do you work with individuals and families as well as financial advisors or one of those particular segments? I, I work with both. So I work with uh, individuals and families. I have uh, a uh, platform called Your Best Life Forward, but it's mainly accessible through advisors. And I work with advisors, professionals of, of all sorts to help them better understand what their clients are going through and have better communication around how to talk to their clients about the practical, emotional, and family issues they're going through while they help them with their finances or with their legal issues. Great. Well, let me tell you a little bit about my Nana Mo because part of this Great. episode is dedicated to her. Her full name, well, I guess it was Mary Moriarty, but we always call her Nana Mo or Nana <laughs> Moriarty. And she is my grandmother on my mother's side. She lived alone until she was 102 and a half, a two-story house, family house in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And even though she had, I think it's 22, it could be 26 grandchildren and great-grandchildren, she had an individual relationship uh, with each of us, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I'm so proud of in terms of my Nanamo, there's many things, but the things I want to highlight here today is that she was actually the second woman in Cambridge to vote when women got the right to wow. vote in 1920. And so I said to her one time um, when she was still alive, I said, Nana, I said, how come you were second? Why weren't you first? And she looks at me, she goes, I think it would have been a little rude, Kathleen, to knock that lady out in front of me to just be first. And then she turns and gives me this devilish grin. Like she would have done it if she could have got away with it. And that's what I love about my Nana Mo. I really feel like I inherit her chutzpah and her desire mm. to be a little bit of a rebel. And so it, it's an honor to kind of talk about her today on the podcast. But, but is it unusual, Dr. Amy, for women to live that long? Is it unusual that my grandmother lived to 103? Well, it's getting to be less unusual all the time because we're, we're watching people live longer and longer. But we know women, as you said, tend to outlive men. That gap is, is closing. But when you look each generation, you know, we're, we're living longer and longer. There is, um, there's a great book called Living to 100. And it's actually based on the New England Centenarian study that's been going on a long time. It's a really fun read if people have an interest in it. And then I'm, of course, as I want to tell you the name of this other book, I can't, but it's, it's about, it may be called the nun study, or they may have had a nicer name than that, but it, it's about nuns who've lived to be very old, and they studied them for their whole lives because they had health records on them from the time they were young nuns, so they could really look at some of the things that led to that. So for people who are interested in trying to be like Nana Mo, they might want to take a look at one of those books. Great. I'll put the link for those two books in the show notes. And I definitely Great. want to check out both of them. I believe my Nana Mo and the other person I'm going to mention a little bit later were participants in that study. Really? Yes. Oh, that they believe... probably were because they believe that they have studied everybody who's lived over the age of 100 in the catchment area, which is what makes the data so rich. So they probably were part of the study. That's really exciting. I've never known anybody part of the study. That's cool. That's yeah. so cool. So, you know, I talk a lot about breaking money silence and what I do. And I'm wondering for people who are listening, who are saying, you know, I either am somebody who has longevity in the family, my chances of living, you know, 90, 100 mm -hmm. more, 
is pretty high, or I have a parent that I'm concerned about that's reaching that age, you know, what type of conversation should adult children and uh, their aging parents have when it comes to living a long life? Well, I always say that people should be planning and, and looking at three areas, purpose, sense of purpose, uh, the people in their lives, making sure they have enough social support, and then place, where are they going to live? So let's just focus in on place for a second, because this is one of the areas in my experience, people don't give enough thought to ahead of time. And there's a question they can ask that really helps. And you can use this question for everything. I call it the plan B question. And it's, if there were a shift in my health or mobility, or the health or mobility of someone I love, what might I do differently? So when you apply that to where you might live, you ask, you know, you might walk through your home and you might say, so this home is great right now. It works for me. So what if I had a shift in my health or mobility? What might that do? Would this home make sense? And, and you don't have to, you know, think of something dramatic. It could be you have night driving issues, something that's very common as we age, right? Well, if you live way out in the country and there's no public transportation and no Uber and you're social, that could really knock your social life out. So you may think, okay, hmm, not so good for me to be here. It doesn't mean, by the way, you should go put a for sale sign up tomorrow. You answer that question and say that. But what it means is you want to think about what's my plan B? What's the next thing that I would want? This is how you maintain, you know, the choice, control, and independence in your life is by asking these questions and then having conversations with the people you love. I love that because it's a very approachable question and it's something, you know, I'm going to think about and I could talk to my husband about and it doesn't feel like this overwhelming, mm -hmm. you know, planning for your death and demise. It's more just like, oh, what's your plan B? Right. So that's really helpful. Right. Gives you the backup. Yeah. And so let me switch gears just very quickly. So just to stay on Nana Mo. So like I said, she did actually live in the same place till she was 102 and a half. And then she ended up becoming ill, very short illness, uh, ended mm -hmm. up getting hospitalized and never lived in another facility and died in her home. I mean, died shortly after she left her home. First of all, Nana Mo is Irish Catholic. And so we had the Irish Catholic funeral. We have a very mm -hmm. big Irish Catholic gathering, which you can imagine is a lot of conversation, drinks and food, not necessarily a lot of mourning. Mm -hmm. And then my family or her kids went back to her house sat at the kitchen table, there were five of them, including my mother, and decided how they were gonna split up her assets. Now she had a basic will and she only had really the house in her name. And then she had furniture and jewelry and all that stuff that's very sentimental, but nothing mm -hmm. you know, very uh, high end when it comes to uh, asset value. And so what they decided to do was they decided to have a lottery. So they right. literally put 22 pieces of paper in a bag and had, and then drew out one for each person, for each kid and grandkid. And I got number one. Oh, okay. Yes, I won Nanamo's lottery, which <laughs> was a very mixed thing. I mean, I, I love to win, I'm competitive. But where that put me in the position was then I had to go to Nanamo's house first and take one item that I wanted to keep. And it could be any item that was in the house. And so for me, I needed to grieve a little bit and to take some mm. time, but I had a bunch of other people behind me. Right. So it was a very interesting uh, thing. I eventually got to the place where I was like, okay, I can go. I brought my husband. 
I went in and what I ended up taking was something of no value whatsoever. Yeah. My grandmother had pop beads. I don't know yeah. if people know what pop beads are, but they're plastic beads. They look like pearls and they pop together and unpopped. And I remembered them sitting on her lap as a kid. My mother and some of the other uh other uh, people behind me were pretty upset I didn't take the bedroom set because we had all talked about, you know, the first person should get the bedroom set. <laughs> Number two was really happy because she yes. got the bedroom set. But anyway, it strikes me as this is a very creative and in some ways um, interesting way in which mm -hmm. my family decided to split up assets, but it's pretty non-traditional. So for people listening in, you know, what types of conversations or what type of advice would you have for them in planning for when that person ultimately is no longer with us? Well, you said something that is so important in what you talked about. Do you know the thing that I find people fight the most about are those sentimental things? We think it's the money, but often in wills, people have done a good job of figuring out the financial assets, right? This goes to this person. It's the things, the possessions, many of which may not have any monetary value that people fight about. And by the way, I took the, I, I don't know if you remember these, but my mom had a frog on her kitchen sink that held a steel wool pad. Yes, Very I know frog. exactly what those are. Yeah, I have that. That was what I wanted, right? So what I would say is think about the things that are sentimental. And then there, there are lots of ways you can do this. I mean, it's great if you can do this ahead of time, because the other thing that you said that's so key is, I really encourage people to be proactive about conversations and planning because it's easier to do those things when you're not in an emotional space. So if you can do them first, then when you're grieving, grieving's exhausting and it takes a lot of energy. You're not trying to do proactive planning or you know, not proactive because you waited and deal with things, dealing with the practical at the same time you're dealing with the emotional. So try to have conversations ahead of time if you can. There are lots of methods. That method could still work. You know, if Nana, depending on who Nana Mo was, she might've gotten a kick out of oh. watching people walk through the house and decide what they might want. She would have loved that it was a lottery. I have yeah. no so doubt. So you could have done the lottery that. ahead of time. Sometimes people do. I've heard stories of people using monopoly money and bidding, like having that one, one couple invited their adult children home and said, you know, here's everybody gets this much money and they had them bid on things. Um, I've actually been through this, this process with uh, my, my, my family of choice, my second family, and those parents who I've known since I was six had me and the two biological girls go through the house and we had a, a yellow pad and three columns. And they told us stories about everything in the house, which was such a rich time, right? So they didn't have a lot of possessions with monetary value, but they had a lot with stories. And so they said, we had a lot of laughter and fun and, and they called me after and said, you know, cause I pushed this. They said, we feel better knowing that when we're gone and you're, you, all of you are grieving, that we hope the memories of today helped you get through, which oh, I thought was so great. Sweet. Isn't that beautiful? They said, yes. because we know what it's like to grieve like this. And when you take those things, you're going to be grieving, but we hope you'll remember this day. So I would say, have the conversations around all the possessions, not just the money or the assets and not just the bedroom set, but also the pot beads, because those may be the things that people want. And, and just come up with some methodology. There's, there's lots of, if you Google online, uh, ways to divide uh, possessions, you know, after death and try some different things. I just did this for a friend who her, her 
mom died and the kids all had to go home and divide things. And she was worried about a lot of stress. And there are pretty good directions online about how to do that. But it's worth having those conversations ahead of time if your family can do it and not every family can. That's, so you have to deal, you're, we all live in a family setting that's different from everybody else's. So there's no hard and fast rules about how to do that. But I'm all for proactive conversations. And you know, starting that conversation depends if you're generation one or generation two, how you start that conversation. Yeah. And so, so I should give my family a little bit more credit. They did and actually also, a great job. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it, it worked out. It, it went, everybody agreed. There were no arguments. I got, like I said, a little pressure for what I didn't choose. Right. But overall, I think it went really well. So that's great advice. And, and I think what you're highlighting here is now in the moment with the people in your life, really focusing in on things that are valuable, stories that you want to pass on. Yeah. And yes, there's the money piece as well, and that's important, but you can really start breaking money silence by talking about those things. It's often easier to share a story or to talk about a particular thing that like a necklace that's important to you mm -hmm. than to um, start right with the money, the assets, and, and the technical side. And legacy, I always say legacy is broad, right? It's, it's certainly, it's about assets, but it's also about stories, memories, and values. You know, it's what we leave behind. So thinking about what are you going to leave behind in all those areas? And then it is easier to move in to, okay, now we have to talk about, let's break the money silence and yeah. have those conversations. Great. So to give my dad's side of the family the same airtime as my mother's <laughs> side of the family. So Nana Mo is my mother's side. And on my dad's side was my great aunt Alice. Mm. My great, so it was my dad's aunt. She was my dad's aunt. And she was also special to me. And she lived to 104 years. So longevity wow. on both sides. And these aren't the only folks, but these are the two women that really stand out in terms of their influence on me. And so she was of sound mind. But she had very little hearing in the end. And one of the funny stories I remember is going to, I think it was her 103rd birthday. And, you know, at that point, people have a lot of stuff. She didn't need any stuff. She lived in assisted living, not a nursing home, assisted uh, right. living home where she had her own apartment. And I decided to get her a card that was musical. And so she opened up the card and it played music, but I forgot that she couldn't hear it. So <laughs> she couldn't hear it. So she got the gist that it was a lovely thought, but just a little tip for people 100 and over, check their hearing before you buy a musical card for them. That's great. That's a great story. <laughs> but she was a nurse. She had a daughter who unfortunately had a car accident when she was young. So she was in a wheelchair since she was 16 years old. And Aunt Alice uh, was the primary breadwinner of her family. She ultimately mm. ended out living everyone, as you can imagine. And so my question for you, Dr. Amy, is, you know, what are the ways in which people think or need to think about social connection and stay socially connected? Because one of the things I noticed about my Aunt Alice is no matter where she lived, what community, what neighborhood, what assisted living, she was surrounded by great social contacts and made the most of them. That's so great. And you know, we know through really good research, this matters. We're talking about social support, emotional and practical, and that's the emotional side. And we know that people who have good social support as they age, live longer, live healthier, both mentally and physically, are less apt to end up in nursing homes, heal quicker from illnesses, and the latest research shows it has a protective factor against Alzheimer's disease. So it's super important. And we know that if we, as we age, 
if we don't continue to invest in the people in our lives, our social support shrinks because people move, relationships change, people die. So we have to keep growing our social support, we have to keep investing. Sounds like she did a fabulous job of that. You know, you said even in assisted living. So this isn't easy for all of us. Not everybody's an extrovert, but I think it's like, it's like anything else we know is important. We have to put the energy into it. We have to, we have to recognize how important this is. You know, I was in uh, England, I think this was about two years ago. And as I was on their subway system, the, the tube, I was coming up and they had these posters about take aunt so-and-so for tea or go, because they were promoting, tr there's so much loneliness uh, in, in our older population. They were promoting trying to re-engage the older population back in through some connection. And I loved that. But I think we all have to recognize our responsibility to keep growing our social support. It's just like you eat well or, you know, exercise, you have to, you have to invest in it. And it could be as simple as reaching out to people that you might've lost connection with over the years. Lots of us have people that we really liked in our lives. It's just our lives moved into a different chapter. We lost connection with them. And that can be a great way as we're aging to reconnect with people from other time periods in our life and, you know, nurture those relationships and deepen the ones that are already in our life. So whatever it takes to keep building social support, it's really, really important for aging. We know it's one of the most important factors for aging well. Well, one of the things I heard, and it was a, it was an NPR show, and it was based on some research they did, that women tend to be better at this than men in terms mm -hmm. of the connections. Um, so you're agreeing, you're saying that that's the case. Women tend to have broader social support networks. So we get social support from our, our friends, our adult children, and if we're married to our spouses. Where if, if men are married, they tend to concentrate their social support into their spouse. And there's, there's funny things I say about this. So, you know, when, you, when they interview men and women pre-retirement and they see who you're going to spend your time with, men will often say, my wife, I've been waiting for this time. We're going to travel and eat out and go do all the fun things we've talked about. And then you interview the women and they say, not so much. They say, you know, of course, we're going to spend time with our husbands. And, oh, you know, we had our friends. We're taking this trip over here. We're going to go see our adult kids. So men and women have very different experiences as they age because of this. And, you know, you're, I, I have to give a shout out to my dad, who was a caregiver to my mom for, for eight years. My mom had had a massive stroke and I was a kind of a caregiver to both of them. And after my mom passed, my dad lived about three years and he joined a widower support group. And what's, what's great about this and contrasting it with women is every other week they'd go out to breakfast and it was a large, it was like 20 men. It was a pretty big group. Well, I swear he barely left the house and I'd call him and he'd be back home and I'd say, oh, today wasn't the day. Oh yeah, we went. And I said, well, when you go out with these guys, do you talk about like it's what it's like having lost your wife? And, and he goes, no, we talk about sports, current events, we eat eggs, we come home. And I said, you know, dad, <laughs> if you put a group of widowed women in that restaurant, they'd have to close the restaurant because women would be talking all day long. They'd be socializing. And I said, do you feel support from that? Yeah, I feel supported, he'd say. But very different experiences typically about men and women socialize and where they get their support. 
that is such a cute story. And I, I identify because, you know, I talked about longevity in my family and we've been very fortunate, especially with Nanamo and, and on Alice that they did not experience dementia. Um, however, there is a lot of Alzheimer's in my family as mm. well. And my mother had it before she passed. And mm. uh, my dad was recently diagnosed with it. And it, it goes to other generations as well. And, and the reason I'm giggling at your story about your dad is the idea that my dad certainly wasn't as social as my mother. And when mm -hmm. she passed, the next thing I knew, he was in a poker group, which I didn't even know he played <laughs> poker. But I was just so thankful. I was like, yeah. that's, you know, whatever you're going to do. But my guess is they didn't talk about their uh, deceased no. wives either. No, no. <laughs> Generationally no, as well. That would No, exactly. It's different, table. different, very different. Yeah. So for somebody who has um, dementia in their family or Alzheimer's, are there additional conversations or topics mm. they need to be covering during, you know, this type of breaking money silence and these types of um, dialogues? I think this is actually, I, I would argue this is conversations for everybody because we know how prevalent dementia is. So when you look at 65 and older, about one out of 11 persons has dementia. When you get to 85, it's almost one in three. So whether or not you have a family history of this or not, these are great conversations because, you know, one of the issues, and you know this, Kathleen, is it, people stop losing their ability to manage their money. And so this is where if, you, if, you, if you're somebody who has an advisor, these are important conversations to have with your advisor about if there is a change in your capacity, what, how you want the advisor to behave, this all needs to be you know, in writing and talked about with family. It's not just a casual conversation, but with your family members too. You know, I always talk about what are, what are barriers and what are triggers. So what, what would be for, for you or me a trigger where we might say, Somebody needs to step in because we're not making good decisions anymore around money, right? Remember, this is all around choice, control, independence. It's also around quality of life. And too many people do not make these plans around their finances, and then they get into trouble when they start having early stage, whatever the dementia is. It's, it can be a real problem. So if you're approaching your parents about this, you can talk about the fact that you want them to have choice control and independence. And you also want to make sure that what they've worked so hard for doesn't get lost because you haven't had a tough conversation. And I always say, you know, if you approach it from the standpoint of your parents' quality of life and them, it's an easier conversation. And if you're the older adult needing to talk to your kids who may say, is something wrong? This is yeah. the thing kids always say. Well, there's nothing wrong. We don't need to talk about it now. Yes, that's actually when you do need to talk about it when nothing's wrong. You, you say, you know, I want to make sure that you're not left in a position of having to try to intervene in a difficult situation. Let's have these conversations. This is about breaking the money silence. And I love that you call it that because that's what we all need to do. We need to bring this conversation out in the open. The purpose of breaking money silence and the purpose of what I think both of us are trying to do is let's talk about what's so difficult to talk about, but let's also look at the joy you can get from having these conversations. Not all of them are difficult. Some of them no. are funny. There's great memories, yep. um, like with Nana Mo and, and Aunt Alice. And you yep. know, I know listeners out there probably are thinking of their uh, more mature relatives as well. Um, so Amy, there's so much we could talk about, but I know we have to go. And I hate to end my 100th episode because I just love a good party. Uh, yeah, me too. People, yeah, <laughs> tell people where they can find out more about you because there is so much that everybody can learn from the work that you're doing. 
Yeah, thanks. My website is dramy.life. It's very simple. It's not .com. So you can get on it that way, dramy.life. And I, you know, certainly reach out if there's a question you have, I can answer. And I just want to say, I call those conversations, Kathleen, essential conversations. And I say that's talking to the most important people about the most important things in our lives. And I really want to encourage people to break the money silence and have those essential conversations because it's about not just quality of life, it's about peace of mind for everybody. And if we could, if we could break this silence, we would see both generations benefit from that more open conversation. And, and I think just having them in gentle, compassionate ways is the way to go. Awesome. Well, I am with Dr. Amy Dupree, and she is always fun to talk to, and you've given excellent advice. Everybody should check out her website. Just know if you are not seeing the video, I am holding up a bottle of champagne that I'm going to crack open uh, in honor of my 100th episode. And thank you, Dr. Amy, and everyone who's listening in for giving me a chance to celebrate these powerful women in my life, Nana Mo and Aunt Alice and for celebrating the really important, powerful women and the conversations mm. we need to have. So until next time, it's been great breaking money silence with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Always a pleasure to chat with you. A special thank you to our episode sponsor, Age Up. Did you know that one in three 65-year-olds live into their 90s, but few can afford it? Age Up provides supplemental income to help fill the financial gaps that come with a long life. To find out more, visit age-up.com. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.